we're going to turn now, as we've said, to the Bible again, and we're going to read from the book of Titus. We're in the middle of a series in Titus, Uh, and before Andy comes and shares with us, let's read from Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11, and the words will come up on the screen. So this is uh, Paul writing to his friend Titus, who he's left uh, in Crete to establish strong churches there. Paul writes this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what's good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Father, we thank you that you speak today. Lord, we are listening. We pray for Andy as he speaks to us. Lord, would you speak through him and would we hear what you have to say? Be our teacher, we pray, Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I better say, I don't think Katia Adler is at any risk of losing her job as a Europe correspondent, but um, there we go. So good morning to everyone. It's great to have you with us. And uh, as we look at this next one in the series, really, on the book of Titus, and hopefully you've begun to gather that the key message of this book um, is about how we make the gospel attractive to people outside through how we live, how we live our lives. And uh, that's Paul's message to Titus. And recently um, we had a, a Faithful Neighbours event uh, that uh, James and Mel Lynch were involved with. Um, Fred, Kramath uh, invited a number of people from the community to, to share uh, what's been going on and to celebrate that as well. And it was really apparent at that, a couple of moments uh, in that evening, where that, that attractiveness of the gospel kind of came out. And uh, when our good friend Abdullah from a uh, Balsall Heath uh, forum shared how he'd gone off to Lesbos to, and some charity work with um, uh, the refugees uh, coming across there, just how it struck him that it was all, all the church, it was all the Christian charities that seemed to be all over that. It was, the, it was the Christians that were cleaning out the toilets. It was the Christians that were doing the grot jobs. And that had a massive impact on him. And then Jahan, he shared, um, and he goes around schools and he's really engaged in the community in a whole number of ways. And he shared towards the end of the evening how it was really his church schooling um, where he'd had uh, kind of been impacted by the Christian values and how that had been lived out, that it shaped really how much of a positive contribution he now wanted to put back into society. And my own experience coming to faith was that it was a friend. Uh, at school, who had the courage to stand up for what he believed in. Um, he, he was a lot of fun, but he also would challenge things that were wrong. And it was that conviction that he had that was the first thing that attracted me to the Christian faith. And perhaps we have our own stories of what attracted us to the Christian faith uh, initially. And yet we know that uh, we find trying to live out the Christian life 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year. Um, is a huge challenge for us. Um, There was a guy who wrote a letter to the Inland Revenue, and in it he said this, he said, I've cheated on my income taxes, and I felt so bad that I couldn't sleep. 
enclosed is a check for £150. And if I still can't sleep, I might send you the rest of what I owe you. <laughs> okay. How much do we struggle? Most of us want to do the right thing, and yet so often we find it easier to do the wrong thing. We try and find a way to compromise. We find a way to do that. And, and the more we do compromise, then the more it starts to feel natural, the more it starts to feel normal uh, to us. But our lives, we're to live lives that are attractive or make the gospel attractive to others. And so Titus um, is one of the letters, one of the last letters that Paul wrote. He wrote First and Second Timothy and Titus around about the same time. And they're often referred to as the pastoral letters, although they're not really pastoral they are really trying to sort the church out so that the church can reach out, so that they can be a difference in the world. And in First and Second Timothy, he's really asking the question, what's the quality of the leadership? And in Titus, he's asking primarily, what is the question, what is the quality of the membership? How do they make the gospel look attractive to people outside through how they live? In church life, in family and home life, in their working life, in society life, the whole of life is relevant uh, to this. And uh, it's been pointed out that Paul's list of virtues that he kind of trots off through these letters are actually the Greek list of virtues. They are the unbelievers' list of virtues, if you like. What people out there expect, and to live that and more. So it'd be a great question for you on Monday morning, wherever you find yourself, to ask your, your non-Christian uh, colleagues, friends, uh, family, whatever, what do you expect a follower of Jesus to look like? What do you expect? How do you expect me to live? What's your expectation? And perhaps you might then go on asking, how much of that do you see in my life? It'd be a great conversation starter, if nothing else. So I recommend it to you. But in verse 12, Paul now highlights the, uh, the issues of ungodliness and of worldly passions that we're to say no to. And instead, to live these self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, eager to do what is good. But he also highlights the importance of grace in this as well. So firstly, worldly passions. Um, St. Ambrose uh, wrote this. He said, our passions should obey our reason. Our passions should obey our reason. Meaning that our natural appetites should be ruled rather than rule over us. But we live in a world where sin has come into the, the equation, selfishness. Um, and so our passions, our appetites, and our needs have become distorted. They've become and developed to out-of-kilter things, uh, worldly passions. So, for example, sex, for example, intended by God for marriage between a man and a woman becomes lust, and it becomes immorality, and it becomes pornography, becomes sex before marriage, outside of marriage, all of those things. Our need for food um, deviates into a, a, a gluttony and a greed and an irrational excessive consumption of what we eat. Um, our right indignation at injustice can develop into unrighteous anger and resentment. Or it can become a refusal to forgive someone that wrongs us. Or it can become a compulsive need to make a point, uh, to lose control when we, we go into rage or we even hit someone or there's violence, or perhaps even murder at its extreme. You know, we have a, a natural need for clothes and for shelter, and yet that gets distorted by materialism and expresses itself in consumerism and lavish spending and uh, hoarding and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, our need for rest becomes transformed into, into laziness and indifference and a lack of self-discipline in our lives. 
And the healthy fears that we have that alert us to things in life become timidity and they become cowardice, uh, inertia, paranoia, discouragement, an irrational sense of danger. And also aware that sometimes mental health issues get involved in all of this as well and, uh, and really complicate things. But we can become slaves to these things, these worldly passions, if you like. They can become out of kilter and start to dominate our lives and rule us. And we can become so accustomed to them that they begin to feel like the natural. They start to feel like the normal. Here's a quote I came across. To be human is not to succumb to the fundamental instincts like the animal kingdom. To be human is to master these instincts. And so we contend daily. Christian discipleship is contending daily in these things. Um, there was a leader in a church, and he got on a bus one Monday morning, and he paid um, his bus fare, and he got way too much change, way too much change to what he should have done. And he sat down, and he counted it. Eight times he recounted this. And he's thinking, isn't it wonderful how God provides? <laughs> he was a little bit short that week. You know, it was the end of the month. Isn't it great? But he wrestled in his conscience for the entire journey. And he could not live with himself until he got to the end. He got to his stop. And he went up to the driver and he said, here you are. You gave me way too much change. You've made a mistake. And the driver said to him, no, I didn't make a mistake. He said, I was in your sermon on Sunday night, listening to you speak on honesty. I just wanted to test you. Now, there are times when we are tested on all of those, okay? And there are times when I have passed that test, and there are times when I have failed that test. And that is probably true for each one of us. We contend daily, Christian discipleship. When we don't have things that we want, we want them. And when we have got things that we want, we want more of them. But then into all of this steps God with his grace, with his gospel, with his good news of Jesus. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And salvation, this word salvation is a big word. It means it's about God's rescue for us. And it has three aspects to it. It has a past aspect in that we have been saved from all that was wrong in the past. It has got a present aspect. That is, we are being saved. We are being rescued. We are being transformed in the here and now. It isn't complete yet. And there is a future aspect. We will be saved. We will be rescued from that day of judgment where, where God could condemn us, but he won't because we will be saved when Jesus returns. The, the Bible talks about justification as the, as the past word, sanctification as the present word, glorification as the future word, as we wait for this blessed hope, verse 13. And so the gospel of Jesus and the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit is not just about the past, it is also about the present. It is also about how we are being transformed on a daily basis. And the New Testament uses the metaphor of birth quite often to describe this. In John chapter 1, it talks about new birth quite a lot and says that how we become God's children, that we are born of God. And when we're born of God, we have a whole new identity. We have a whole new nature that we didn't have before. Um, at the start of a new life, when a baby is born, that nature starts to unfold as they grow and as they develop. So if you take a, take a bird, for example, when a bird hatches from an egg, out pops a little chick, whatever, and it will develop the nature of a bird. 
okay, because of its DNA. And one day it will fly, presumably. Likewise, with a human baby, the human nature starts to unfold as they grow up and go through life. But in the New Testament, there is something stunning. In the New Testament, we are born of God. And therefore, God's nature starts to unfold in us. Okay, this new nature, God's nature, is planted deep inside of each one of us. And it is going to radically change us from the inside out. So if we think about life for a moment, if we think about living things and non-living things, there, there are different orders of, of, of understanding the world in which we live in. So let's just start with a rock and a plant to begin with. A rock doesn't really know anything, just sits there. Whereas a plant is a living thing. And a, a plant, uh, it can sense light and dark. It can sense heat and cold. It can sense dry and wet and where it gets its water from. It can sense up and down, which way to grow. Um, it has a number of senses in that. It can sense its environment. But if we then swap the, the rock for an animal, the, the animal has got a greater sense of its world than the plant because uh, an animal can sense danger. It can usually run from, from danger and from other things, predators, whatever. Um, it can usually see. Uh, it can usually hear. Uh, very common across the animal kingdom. It has a greater sense of reality than the plant has. It has a greater awareness and can react accordingly. As human beings, we also have uh, another level. And anybody who's been sitting exams recently, or in a family where there's exams, you'll be aware that we also have the ability to reason and to deduce and to hope. Um, we can think ahead. We can sense the future. We can look at the challenges of our planet and start thinking about how do we need to engage with that? How do we need to change things that might happen? We engage with politics in our world. We have a sense of what is right and of what is wrong. Um, an animal, you would not expect if an animal, you wouldn't hold it responsible for killing another animal, even if it was one of its own kind. Okay? But if a human does, then we do. If it's a, a nation or a tribe or a gang or an individual, we hold them responsible because we believe and we, we have the reality, the sense of reality that there were a moral universe, there is a sense of injustice in that situation. And so different orders of life better see reality and act effectively in that reality. So it is when we come to new birth, to new birth as we understand in the New Testament, because something new happens. And uh, you might, some of you may be familiar with the story with the, the pigs and the pearls in the, in the Bible and how if you give a pig a pearl or a diamond, what does it do? Like it doesn't, doesn't go, oh, that's beautiful. It just starts munching it. Just, just munches away on pearls and diamonds. It doesn't get it. It doesn't realize the value of what is there. It can't sense the full reality of what it's looking at. So what about people? What about us? When we say words like God, the holiness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, when we talk about Jesus on the cross, do we see the pearl that is there? Do we see the diamond that is there? Or do we just keep munching it without realizing what it is actually about? We might even believe them as abstractions, as ideas. We might not. But we can't naturally sense the full reality of what those things are. And therefore, they don't change our lives. They're not electrifying, life-changing concepts for many people. And therefore, we don't act on them. It makes no difference. Okay? The, the pearls, the diamonds, but we just keep munching on them. 
But the way to receive this new nature, we're told, is through new birth. Through this new birth. Because then we are able to sense these things. Then we are able to see the reality of them, the full reality of them, and of life. Of who we really are. That we are children of God. That we are saints. Okay? That is the real reality of who we are through this new birth. And therefore saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions so that we can live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Saying no to ungodliness is not about religion. Saying no to ungodliness is not about morality. Okay? It's about having a new nature given to us by the grace of God. A new nature. There was one night a man came to Jesus. He was a highly religious man. He was a respected member of the Sanhedrin, one of the, the ruling uh, Jewish councils. He lived a very moral life. He followed all the religious customs. And he's not a kind of self-righteous arrogant guy, he comes with great humility to Jesus one night and respectfully calls him rabbi, a teacher who has come from God. His name was Nicodemus. And Jesus says to him that he needs this new birth. He doesn't say to him, well, you're a decent guy, you're okay, you're religious, you'll be fine. He says, even you need a new nature, something completely new. New birth by believing in what we have in the New Testament, in God's words, in Jesus' words. And Jesus went on and he spoke on about um, when a baby's born, that the mother goes through incredible suffering, a lot of pain. But she forgets it all. All the anguish of that she forgets because of the joy of bringing a child into the world. And the baby is born through the labor and suffering of the mother, of someone else. And... Um, the baby doesn't then get a rule book on how to live life in the maternity unit. They don't get handed, this is now how you have to live life. It is in their nature. Okay? It will develop. It will come out of who they are. And so Jesus comes as a saviour. And like the mother that is given new birth, he has done everything for us. That baby doesn't ask for life. It doesn't deserve life it hasn't done anything to merit life it gets life and it becomes what its nature enables it to become and um, even today you know a mother's life is always in the balance you know parts of the world that is more serious perhaps than here but it's still very much part of life and and yet the new birth we have has been given at the cost of another jesus gave everything so that we could have this life. Verse 14, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us. The, the child that is born gets the life free. Okay? It's 100% grace. It's 100% given. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. And just like a baby, we, we don't, haven't done anything or deserve anything for the new birth that we have. And yet, it gets life and we get life. And with it comes a whole new sense of reality. And so that is true with us. If we will accept it, if we will walk into that new reality and that new nature, which is godly living 
which is God's nature that he's planted within us. And so it's this grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and instead live right lives. And as we do, people will see the attractiveness of the gospel. It is a fantastic message. It is a life-giving message that I can be transformed because of God's nature working in me. So why is it grace that teaches us to say no? Because no, first of all, it is not the fear of getting caught. You know, in fact, a lot of people will say the fear of getting caught is the very thing that entices them into it. It's that risk, especially if you're kind of alpha male type or whatever. You, that is actually part of the risk and excitement of it. No, it's not the law of God. The law of God shows us what is wrong in life, but it is powerless to change the human heart. Rules won't do it. Know also that it's not living in a Christian community and accountability to commit to live by biblical standards. Okay, good does like that be. I'm a good friend of mine had probably one of his biggest moral lapses while he was living for a year in a Christian community. Because that in itself, you know, we, we deceive people, our hearts lead us astray. These things all have their place, okay? Don't get me wrong, but they don't teach us to say no. It's grace that teaches us to say no. Why? Well, because grace allows us to grow when we get it wrong. Grace allows us to grow when we get it wrong. When we sin, when we get it wrong, when we think it's the end, when we think God has given up on us, it's grace that says there's another chance to grow in godliness. And probably every one of us has needed that. In fact, everyone has needed that. You know, even today, that may be a message that you need to hear. That there's an opportunity to grow in godliness, even if you've messed up, even when I've messed up. Grace gives us the place to take our sin. It take, gives us the place to go with it, and it offers us another chance to grow. Secondly, grace makes us grateful. It makes us grateful for this new nature that he's planted within us. What an amazing gift. A new nature given to us. You know, thank you that you've opened my eyes to see the pearls. Thank you that you've opened my eyes to see the diamonds for what they really are. These things I was munching on, I now recognize for what they are. How grateful I am. And gratitude is a great motivator for godliness. But also grateful for what it cost, what Jesus did so that I could have that. Like the child is grateful to the mother, if you like. You know, we are grateful to God for giving us this life, for going through the suffering that we don't need to. A grateful response for all that he has done. And thirdly, grace brings us into a relationship, a personal relationship with a living Savior. This guy's alive. This guy is real. This guy is saving us. This guy is changing us. And we come into a relationship with him. And like any human relationship, we want it to flourish. And to make it flourish, you serve one another. You love one another. You want to bring joy to one another. You, um, you honor one another. Likewise with God, likewise with Jesus, we, we live for him to bring joy to him because of that relationship and because he's the one who will change us as we wait for that day when there's a full appearance a glorious appearing of grace himself we see him as someone prayed earlier on face to face and as for now we walk with jesus the sanctifier the one who will change us the one that we can draw on more and more in our lives and his word will wash us and his spirit will work in us 
And as we see our prayers answered, as we bring our struggles and, and issues to him, um, we will move forward. But as we come, a cl- come to a close uh, this morning, really the question is, what needs to change? What needs to change in my life? Okay, what needs to change in your life? Let's pray together. Let me just read these words at the end. He gave himself. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, making the gospel attractive. Father, I pray for each one of us this morning and we just thank you for the new nature that you've gifted us with. Lord, open our eyes to see it, to really see it, to know it, to trust it, to live in it. And Lord, I pray for anyone this morning who has yet to receive that new nature, that this morning there is a free offer of the old, the new for the old, free gift. Jesus suffered for your new birth. Do you want to accept it? You can have it free this morning. It is life-giving. It's available to you today. Here's a simple prayer that you can just pray and echo in your own heart. Here's a prayer. And you can just quietly say it um, as I do. Sorry for all the wrong in my life. Live in life without you. Forgive me now. Thank you that you gave your life in my place to make it possible for this new life. Please come and lead my life and fill my life with your new nature by your Spirit.